0: This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Grasshopper. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way you can rerun your business from anywhere, respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com manliness to get $20 off your first month. Again, that's grasshopper.com manliness for $20 off your first month. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. If you find yourself running out of money before your next paycheck, or if you've been having trouble making a dent in your debt, then you, my friend, need a budget. My guest today is Jesse Meekum. He's the creator of the You Need a Budget personal finance system and software, and he's just written a book about the philosophy underpinning his system. It's called You Need a Budget, the proven system of breaking the paycheck to paycheck cycle, getting out of debt, and living the life you want. Today on the show, Jesse tells us the personal story behind his software, why most people fail at budgets, and the myths people have about budgeting. He then walks us through the four rules of the You Need a Budget system, as well as actionable advice on how to implement them. Whether your goal is to pay off your debt or simply feel some control over your finances, this episode is for you. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash YNAB, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. And Jesse joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Jesse Meekum, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Brent. So you founded a, a personal finance service called You Need a Budget, and you just wrote a book, the same title, You Need a Budget, The Proven System for Breaking the Paycheck-to-Paycheck Cycle, Getting Out of Debt and Living the Life You Want. What I love about your story is like a lot of really successful, useful businesses, you started You Need a Budget because you had a problem of your own that you had to solve. Can you give us the backstory of You Need a Budget?
1: Yeah, I could do the two-word two-word one or about there. I mean, we were young newlyweds. I was still in school and uh, and we were going to have a baby. And so we were naturally broke because when you're married and in school, that happens. But the baby really, really extra stressed for me. So Julie, my wife and I, we were using this budgeting system that I'd created for the two of us. And it worked pretty well, despite pretty meager incomes. You know, we were, we were getting by, we were actually able to save a little bit and then when the baby was coming we really wanted Julie to be able to stay home and just be full time 100% with the baby and that would mean that her income would go away and i needed to figure out a way to you know shore up the gap and that was where i had the idea that i could i could sell our budgeting system to other people and i was just young enough just naive enough to to believe
0: that you know that would work so that's what we that's what we started with so let's talk about budgeting in general cuz i think everyone listening to this show has probably tried budgeting at some point in their life and they stick to it for about a week and then they go over and then they're just like, okay, I'm just going to give up on this completely. So w- why do most people fail at keeping a budget? What's so hard about the way most people keep budgets?
1: They do two things wrong. One is that they use a budget to forecast what they will earn and what they will spend. And then we could get into details on that if you want. But then the second bit it's it's almost as if, like, I, I'm horrible at basketball, right? I'm, I used to be pretty good, and then I stopped playing around the time I was 12, haven't touched a ball since. And it would be like me deciding I'm going to play basketball again and demand that my free throw percentage be 95%. It, and that's what they do with their budget. They've never budgeted before. They're probably pretty poor with their money, the management of it. and And then they just suddenly think, because they've written down this budget or whatever they've done, that they're suddenly – going to be perfect and also probably be able to have, you know, psychic kind of future fortune telling kinds of abilities. And that just doesn't happen. So they blame the budget for the fact that they have this high level of perfectionism that they're trying to live by and they're just getting started. I have so many analogies. I have weight training analogies, dieting analogies. All of them are the same. It's like, listen, you're just getting started, you know, give yourself a break. So that would be for no forecasting and no perfectionism and budgeting will live to, to Go another day, but people approach too much with those two things in mind and, and kind of torpedo it from the outset.
0: So, let's talk about the difference between budgeting and forecasting. Can you go to that in more detail?
1: Yeah. So, what happens is, well, what we really want to do is introduce scarcity into their decision making. So, that is, that's the principle. And you just got to make sure that you're clear on that. If there's scarcity in your system and you know you only have $300, $3,000, whatever it is, that that amount is finite. Then when I say, hey, Brett, what do you want to do with that $300 before you are paid again? Then you are crystal clear on what your priorities need to be because we're dealing with a very small or at least a very finite amount of money. When we forecast, and you as an entrepreneur, and and I'm in the same boat, and 75% of Americans do deal with variable incomes of all sorts, they end up using the forecasting to pad their system with extra money. And they kill the scarcity from it. So you would say, Oh, and maybe you're chatting with your, you know, your wife or something, and it's kind of like, okay, we want to do this, this, well, how's it going to work? And you think to yourself, oh, well, I'll make some more money here. This will probably happen, this good thing in the business. We're going to do this launch. We all come up with all these like really rosy ideas, like looking through, you know, the future, like through these rose-colored glasses, and then answer and try and uh, instead of prioritizing brutally, honestly, and say, listen, this is the amount of money we have, we then say, oh, no, I'll make more in order to not have to deal with the question of I have a finite amount of money. And you can do this with a fixed amount of income when you're on the most sure paycheck of all, or you can do it when you're you know a realtor just jumping from one house sale to the next. But we forecast to make ourselves feel better about or to avoid, essentially, the idea that There's a finite amount of money that we're dealing with. So when we first start someone out, I just say, what's in your bank account? They tell me. I don't care what the amount is. And then I say, okay, what do you want that money to do before you are paid again? And their stress suddenly disappears. They feel very purposeful, very intentional. And we've completely removed that murky area where someone's guessing what amount of money they should be dealing with.
0: Gotcha. And I guess another part of that, besides you know the amount of money you, you're come that's coming in, you're also budgeting for un we'll get into this more details, but like unexpected expense. Like they're expected expenses, but they don't show up very often. Yes. Yeah. We we call that it's it's
1: the second rule of our system where you're embracing your true expenses. And those these are larger, less frequent expenses that tend to surprise us and that shouldn't. So We probably drive cars, and you know if you drive a car on a road and it has tires that continually rotate at that high velocity that they'll wear down, yet we're all surprised when we have to replace our tires. And then someone will say, well, I don't know when it'll happen. And I say, that's fine. You don't know when, but you do know that it will happen. And we know that having money saved for it is better than having zero saved for it. So what we want people to do is look ahead to those larger, less frequent expenses, and then start to break them down into manageable monthly amounts and give yourself monthly bills that you're dealing with. So if it's vacation that you're saving for, or it's Christmas that you're getting ready for, we want you to get ready for Christmas in January and then be ready, you know, every month, setting aside a little bit of that Christmas bill so that come December, you just, you just enjoy yourself and uh, it's actually merry, right? (laughs) Instead of stressful. So the idea is that the money, you have a pile of money waiting for a bill to land instead of a pile of bills just waiting for you to finally land some money to take care of them.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so rule two, embrace your true expenses. Let's talk about these rules Did you jumped right to it. Let's talk rule number one. We skipped rule number one. What's that?
1: The rule number one is to give every dollar a job. And that goes back to that principle. You don't forecast. It's just what amount of money do you have on hand right now? And you're just prioritizing and prioritization in and of itself is fairly simple like in concept but actual doing can be quite challenging so we want all of our money to go towards specific purposes what people end up doing is just behaving very reactively with their money and as a result with their life and if you can be intentional and proactive with your money i say I, and you say i want my money to do these things i want my money to do that then suddenly you feel purposeful and your money it's not that you're, you're cutting back. You're not saying, oh, I'll spend less here, I'll spend less there. That's a very boring conversation for me to have. I, w- I would never want to talk to you about, here's how people save money. Not that people shouldn't or that that's bad. It's just that's boring to me. I want people to just be very purposeful about what their money is doing. So that's rule one. is that purpose-driven, what should this money do before I'm paid again? So we call that giving every dollar a job. Rule two is, uh, it's a spin on rule one, just prioritizing again, But looking ahead to those larger, less frequent expenses, breaking them up into monthly amounts and making sure that as you're deciding what your money should do, you're also keeping in mind like future Brett that's out there that's like, hey, man, I'm the guy that's stuck with the blown out tire, like throw me a bone here, you know. And so you're just always kind of looking ahead and saying, okay, I don't want to leave future Brett in the lurch here. So let's throw some money his way as well. So, you know, he's not stranded on the side of the road with a blown out tire and no money to boot. Our third rule is to keep rolling if you want is to give it's essentially give some flexibility to the system so when people first start we talked about that perfectionism we really want people to recognize that out of the gate it is a rule that you change your budget as you go it's like playing chess if someone opens one way in chess you'll respond and then they play and you respond everything's a give and take everything's a response to something else and your budget is the exact same way you have a plan like a a great football coach has a plan They've been working it for a week, and then as soon as the other team steps on the field and they start opening up their playbook and showing their hand a little bit, a good coach adjusts and adapts and responds. A horrible coach, I mean, we'd yell at the coach that said, oh, no, no, I set up my plan. You know, I'm never going to change it. They'd be the worst coach in history. They wouldn't have a job more than a few games. So in budgeting, it's the same way. When something happens and it wasn't what you foresaw, hey, you just— You know, change the budget a little bit and keep rolling. A perfect budget is a budget that is is done again and again and again, not one where you happen to guess right on what you would spend on any given amount. And then our final rule is to age your money. And that's the idea that we want you stepping away from the financial edge and spending money that you earned at least 30 days ago. So if you earn money today, you won't need to spend that money in your normal, normal flow until about 30 days from now. And uh, it has all sorts of benefits. We can dive into if you want, but the idea is just getting away from that financial edge, getting away from the stress, and uh, being able to make better decisions as a result.
0: Okay, that's a great overview. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty and how to implement this. So, rule number one: give every dollar a job. Let's say you you, you talk about this in the book. You know, you ha- everyone has like their obligatory expenses: mortgage, rent, gas, utilities, student loan payments, perhaps so you you sit down you look at your bank account you assign every dollar in your bank account to those expenses what do you do if you don't have any more money left for other expenses like say that true expense of you know replacing the tires like putting aside that for when that happens what do you do there yeah one is
1: you don't uh, pretend you do right so that's yeah that's the one thing people will do is they'll, they'll just immediately say oh well i will earn some money in a few weeks so i'll go ahead and nope don't when that when new money comes in, then fund the tires. There, we could go. We we could actually go one route here where we talk about people that genuinely have an income issue, where they really are, uh, they really don't make enough to fund the their current requirements. Uh, that is not. That is a very real case, but it is not the majority of people. The majority of people have enough, and they're just mismanaging it. What happens is the reason I'm get I I'm leery of talking about um, not having enough money is only because most people say that as an excuse to not even start. So they'll be like, listen, I already know I spend more than I make and it's just the way it is. And so I can't. Budgeting would just show me what I already know. And that thing, it couldn't be further from the truth. Budgeting lets you be proactive to make sure your money is doing what it's actually supposed to do. And if we can get people doing that, a lot of the times, like 90% of the time, their money starts to kind of line up, not be wasted on things that they actually don't really care about, and they end up with some surplus. And this, this really does happen in 90 95% of our cases, where they end up with surplus and they feel like they got a raise. And it's not because we've said, don't spend money here. How could you buy that? I can't believe you spend your money on this. None of that. They just are more purposeful. And suddenly they find more money. It's the same thing people experience when they start planning their day. They're like, well, gosh, this day felt, I felt like I had more time in my day. It's the same principle. You were just being purposeful about what you wanted to do with that resource. And that resource suddenly seemed more abundant. So I might've gone off a little bit on a tangent there, but that idea of not having enough, uh, most of the time is just used as as an excuse for people not to
0: start. Gotcha. And another thing I've had problems with budgeting in my experience is that, okay, I set my budget. I create these little buckets right for different things but all the money is in one account and so like i'm, I'm spending i'm like oh well, i i, I had to keep in my head well this money is associated for this but i look at my account I'm like oh i've got lots of money there that could be used right. for any <laughs> what do you do to the man it's, it's more of like i think it's a psychological issue than anything
1: yeah, it is I mean well what, what's happening? one is you' you're most of the way there right so you're you're making the decisions that you need to make a, a little bit on the implementation is maybe you know could be tweaked but what people do a lot of the times is they'll move money to different accounts to really have it be out of sight out of mind. I find that to be very tedious. Uh, for the most part, then, when you need the money, you got to transfer it back. and just like this back and forth, this little bit of a revolving door of a savings account situation happening. What we do is, I mean, I don't want to speak to the software specifically too much because people can hear this podcast, they can read the book. They don't need to use our software to implement what we're talking about. So I want to be very clear there. But in the software, it's it's built to show you all those buckets, right? and to show you the balances you have. So when you pull out your phone, and you say, "Hey, honey, let's uh, go out to eat." And there's $19. You'd say, "Okay, well, clearly we're doing, you know, Little Caesars pizza tonight, not the sushi I thought." But um, you know, your decisions are being dictated by the $19. You may have uh, $7,000 in your bank account, but you're only looking at the relative, related bit there for that one job. You know, going out to eat. So wine most of the time will just say they don't. They aren't even aware of what their checking account balance is. Um, they get funny looks from tellers at the bank sometimes because they, you know, they're just kind of like, "Why do you have so much in here?" But at the end of the day, they're looking at each individual category balance, and then they're able to say, "Oh, okay, I have enough for, you know, I'm going to go out and, uh, you know, do whatever hobby I have. I've got money. I'm going to go play some golf. I've got money to go out to eat. We've got money to go to the movies." Not, you know, looking at that big pile where you think, "Gosh, I have so much money, I could do whatever I want." Then you're back to making decisions based on how big the checking account balance is. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: It's great. Here's another sort of, it's probably a tedious question. Another issue I ran into that kind of made budgeting frustrating for me is like when I went grocery shopping, for example, at Super Walmart, where they have more besides groceries, right? And then, you know, you so you buy food, but then you also buy other stuff that could be categorized as something else. I don't know who knows, automotive, whatever. Uh, and I'm like, okay, how do, what do I do with this? So what, what's your take on that?
1: So my take is to make things as easy in my life as possible. And um, maybe that goes against your strenuous life approach. But there like there are things where there's no value add to the strain, right? And so right. I want to eliminate those. And this is one of those where you could say, okay, are my could my categories be lumped into such a way where I can just kind of say, ah, that's all in one category? That's one stop where you could just say, oh, I'm going to throw diapers in with groceries. Um, the other thing you could do, and in our software, you can just you know, you just split the transaction, you just kind of ballpark it. I, I would never have someone sit there with a receipt. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, a former CPA. So like I get the whole, you know, like all the jokes about CPAs and calculators, I can do all those. But what you really want to just, you kind of look at the receipt and you say, okay, most of this was groceries, except I bought uh, new dash mats. So you're like, oh, they were about 20 bucks. So you put the $20 in and then you just say, okay, the rest was food and you're done. So it's hopefully not too tedious, but if it is too tedious, you'd say, could I make my categories a little less granular or you know, and make myself just not care as much, or can I just kind of ballpark things to have it not take up so much time? Because there's no value in the recording of the transaction itself, except maybe a little bit of awareness about the actual spending. The real value is the decision-making you made beforehand on how much you wanted to spend, and then just the accuracy afterward. You want to make sure that you're, you're tracking your spending so that you can make accurate decisions. But we don't want things to be tedious. That just is a recipe for people quitting. So I, I hear you on that because it's it's annoying, especially if you're a little bit of a type A, you know, like you want it to be exactly right, then it's particularly annoying.
0: So Gotcha. So let's say you've embraced your true expenses, right? And you have all these things that you want to be but like, how do you – I think one of the hard things with money is prioritizing things. So like you take care of your ob- obligatory, you know, expenses – You've, you've listed out the, the expenses like for car repair, things like that. But then you have these other things like these ambitions, these dreams, uh, and they're all equally good. And it's hard to figure out okay, which one do I focus on actually? Do you have any insights there? Any like little mind hacks that help you decide which one to prioritize at, at any given moment?
1: Yeah. Well, one I've done for myself because I, I used to be kind of, I used to get mad at myself for switching interests. So I, you know, back in like 2009, I got really into golf and I, I would just play it all the time and I, I got uh, to where I wasn't embarrassing. Like I, I maybe shoot, you know, I don't know, 18 over or something like bogey. I was essentially playing bogey golf, which made it pretty fun, right? Um, and then you start carrying too much and it makes it less fun. But I got really into golf for a while and then I stopped. And now if I were to play it, I'd, I'd probably, you know, shoot pretty horribly um, I got into guns for a while and still into it to a degree, but um, I did all these courses and and got really into marksmanship. And, and then I just, like, my interest kind of waned. I, I got a dog for a while and I trained this dog. I wanted to do, like, shutsun training. And, and I was in a bite suit one time, like, running away from this dog that was chasing me. And, it, you know, we were doing training. It was super fun and exhilarating, very exhilarating. Like, it's an exercise I never imagined. And... So I'm, this is all kind of a long way of saying, like, you, you have these interests. If you're an interesting person, it means your interests are will be interesting. So um, you have to give yourself permission to switch your priorities around and not feel like you're doing something wrong. Uh, and that was a – that like, I'm just talking to me personally now. Um, that was a big deal for me because I used to feel like, oh, I haven't maximized that. You know, like, I haven't really become – really proficient. And if I could just, you know, the 10,000 hour rule or whatever, maybe that's a myth. I don't know. But that idea, it just kind of bothered me. And then one day I realized, oh, wait, my thing is that I like to try lots of things. And so I should be okay with that. And suddenly I am. So my prioritization, i just to go back to kind of brass tacks, I always prioritize giving first and making sure, because I think that's the best way to just Really, as far as mind hacks go, you're just saying, "Hey, money, I don't need all of you," and that that right away is very empowering. Uh, number two is you just take care of needs, and you got to be really careful about what are needs versus wants. And then above that, I really try and fund those goals. And we we look as a family, uh, Julie and I. You know, we're looking at usually about a year, maybe two years out, and we do it every January, and we just kind of pick like the big ambitious stuff we want to do. Right now, like I'm you know, chatting with you, I'm in Manhattan, and we knew the book was going to be launching. So we decided we're going to spend three months in Manhattan with the kids. And we have six kids. So it's this crazy experiment. And it's been super fun and really interesting to see. And it was just a decision we made about a year ago. So when I'm talking about prioritization, I really want people to recognize, one, take care of your, your needs first. Make sure you're giving a little, because I think it's healthy for you. It doesn't give to whatever you want, however much you want, but give a little bit and then be okay with with your priorities shifting around as new opportunities arise. And you just, I don't know, you feel like a new want pop in. So that's that's hardly budgeting at all, really. It's just, you know, it's prioritization of itself, but that's kind of a personal thing of mine that um, I've been living the last little while. So hopefully, you know, one of your listeners gets something out of that.
0: We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. All right, so here in the K household, we are connoisseurs of protein bars. In fact, we have a drawer in our kitchen that's just dedicated to protein bars. And there's a new protein bar that we're really big fans of. It's the RX bar. It's a whole food protein bar made with a few simple and clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. And the interest of full transparency, all the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package of the RX bar. They're perfect for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office, or to throw in your bag for a bike, ride, hike, traveling, anything. Better you Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX Bars actually taste delicious. They've got 11 delicious flavor varieties, so whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX Bar for you. My favorite is the peanut butter chocolate. Super tasty, really good, and it's just really, I like what I love like about it. It's simple. Little simple ingredients, not complicated. If you want to try this out for 25% off your first order, go to rxbar.com manliness and enter promo code manliness at checkout. Again, rxbar.com manliness, promo code manliness for 25% off your first order. Also buy Saks Underwear. So when it comes to your wardrobe, your underwear is probably the last thing you think of, but a good pair of underwear can just make all the difference. And if you're probably most guys, you've probably been wearing the same underwear brand since you were in high school. There's been a lot of changes in one company leading the path and making underwear more comfortable is Saks Underwear. Saks Underwear, they got their ballpark pouch, which, you know, it does exactly what you think it does. Keeps everything separate down there, so no more sticking, no more chafing, none of that. This is especially useful if you live in a hot and humid place during the summer. My favorite pair is the Kinetic, great for working out in. And here's the thing, you can try this out, no risk because they've got a comfort guaranteed. If you're not satisfied with your Saks Underwear, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. And here is a special offer. You wanna try this out for yourself at a discount, go to SaksUnderwear.com slash manliness, that's Sacks with two X's, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. So again, 20% off, go to Saks Underwear, S-A-X-X, underwear.com slash manliness. And now back to the show. So what's your take on debt, you know, paying it off?
1: Uh, I don't like it. Yeah. I'm not morally opposed to it. I bought, you know, rental properties a while ago and, and uh, you know, mortgaged the rental properties to do that. So um the reason debt is bad is because it... If our, if our job is to give every dollar a job, as it comes in, you say, I want this money to go do that thing. If half of your money or some meaningful chunk of your money is going toward paying debt, that means it's going toward things that have already happened by definition, and with the exception of, of a house. So with, with that in mind, it's kind of like debt. I mean, debt is just keeping you from doing rule one. It's keeping you from giving every dollar a job because you aren't able to fund the things you really want. You're paying for prior mistakes or prior bad luck or whatever you want to call it. So debt is just, its, it's uh, it claims your cash before you can budget it. And that's why I don't like it. You, people need to get rid of it as fast as they reasonably can. And I personally like to have it be a very, a very rapid pace, because as soon as you're out of it, that, that cash flow that's freed up it can just do wonderful things for you as far as achieving goals and funding things that you really want to do with your life. And it, and until then, it's, it's a bit of a ball and chain around your ankle. So, uh, especially the student loan debt, it's, it's particularly, it's inexpensive, but it can be so large for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it can be really be a ball and chain for a lot of young people that are just starting out that should be able to have a lot more freedom than they, than they currently do. So, I would get aggressive with it and try and get it out of your budget
0: as fast as you can. All right, so prioritize that if you have it. Absolutely. Good. So one piece of financial advice that goes against the grain, against a lot of financial advice out there, I mean, like an article of faith of all personal finance people is you have to have an emergency fund. And you're saying, no, if you do what I say you do, like you don't need that. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, Let's say you, you didn't take my advice and took their advice. More more cash on hand is better. you know. So so you won't be wrong if you decide, no, I'm going to have six months cash, Jesse. I'd say, okay, you're, you'll be fine. What we're talking about here is when you're living that rule two where you're looking ahead and you're saying, okay, home repairs, car repairs, uh, and you're just starting to give really specific names to these events that happen, most wine Ambers that have been doing this for a while, they'll write to us and they'll say, I just – like, I have a three-month emergency fund. I never, ever touch it. And the reason they don't is because they've named all those quote-unquote emergencies, and they just don't have them. Uh, they, they've already prepped for them specifically. And then what you used to call an emergency, and you'd go into your emergency fund, and you'd pay out of it, and then you'd be kind of sad that you had to make your savings account balance go down. Even though that's money. the money's there for that, but you'd still feel kind of guilty about it people instead just say, okay, yeah, that was for my my car tires and they've got money for it. And the emergency fund just sits there. So I would encourage people, if you want to set aside money for real emergencies, once you've got your feet under you following rule two, you'll just realize, man, I've got money here for everything. or darn close. I would look to an emergency fund for really big things. And I would call it those things. I would call it like job loss, you know, or big life shifts or something um, where you're calling it really what it is. And you're being very specific about it. What happens is people will say, I've got this emergency fund. And then they'll use it when the new iPhone comes out because their iPhone gets a little crack in it. And they're like, oh, I guess I need a new phone (laughs) or um, I need a new computer. And they wonder why their savings account doesn't grow. And it, it ends up becoming this holding place until something is deemed an emergency. And so you have this flexible definition that can then raid that pile of money. And people will always they're like, yeah, for some reason like my savings it just doesn't go up. It's like it's a revolving door. Money in, money out. Just depending on your mood. Oh, is this an emergency? I guess it is. And I would I would stress for people name those things, you know, and prep for them in an intentional meaningful way. This is for a new computer instead of this is just money for whatever I end up calling an emergency. At the end of the day, all the advisors I'm, we're all saying the same thing. We're like have money on hand. Don't go to your credit card to handle that "quote unquote" emergency, and you'll be you'll be far far ahead of the rest of the pack. So
0: another thing you talk about in the book is you don't like a lot of other like budgeting gurus, or whatever. I wouldn't call you a guru, but like um, don't call me. A, you can call me a I'll guru call you, if you want, okay. but yeah. uh, but it's like you know like avoid credit cards at all costs. And you say, well, no, if you want to use a credit card, that's fine. Just use it responsibly. And you had this idea that I I don't have a credit card, so it's been a while. But you talk about the credit card float and how that can just screw up your budget. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so most people, um, and I'll speak to those that would tell me I use it responsibly and I pay it off every month. So there, there's a good chunk of people that do that. Uh, the majority of people lose when they're playing that game with credit card companies. And I, I attend like payment conferences where they're talking about innovative ways that payments will be a new thing in the in the future. Like your car will go up to a drive-through and your car will be payments-enabled. I, I promise you this will happen. I mean, I saw them. I saw Visa talking about it, you know, and and um, your car will just pull up and. They'll recognize you and the car will biometrically know it's you and you'll just pay and they'll hand you your food. And they're they're trying to remove friction from the payment process at every step. So I'm taking a a step back here from the credit card question just for a moment. But the idea that credit cards remove friction is very, very obvious. And what we want to do, and the reason they remove friction is because it's convenient, it's fast, it makes the effort more pleasant, and it keeps the person spending more. And a credit card company makes money when you spend more money. So their interest is lined up to have you spend more. You just have to know that going in. So when you grab the plastic, just know, okay, this piece of plastic, it is built to have me spend more. Okay, we started there with like that as a baseline. And it's not an assumption, like that is a truth. That is their, they only make money when you spend money because they get it all in those percentages of fees. So then starting there, you'll have someone say, I only, you know, I pay it all off. I never pay him a dime. I get points. Cool. I, all, I, I literally pay for my car with credit card points. No, no joke. So I understand the points thing. But what happens is they, they have done that and they're saying, I pay off the balance every month. The test you need to give yourself if you're one of these people is, could you right now, it, if you look at your bank account balance and you look at your credit card balance, could you pay off your credit card right now at any given moment of any time in the month could you pay it off and if you can okay you're doing okay but if you can't it means you're floating you're on that credit card float what people are doing is they're they're um, spending on their card accruing debt and then waiting for the paycheck to land so that they can pay off their card so they are in debt until the paycheck lands and they're paying it off what we want is, you're running up a credit card responsibly, all in line with your budget, and you have the money there at any given moment set aside that you can pay that card off. And once you do that, I say, okay, you know you're playing with fire a little bit. You know you're playing with a tool that is built to have you spend more. So you know all that, and you still are living in line with your budget. You're, you know, every dollar has a job. You're sticking to it. Your priorities are being hit. Cool. Knock it out. Get those points, whatever you want to do. At the end of the day, it's just a payment instrument. But it's a pretty slick one, and there are a lot of bright minds <laughs> behind the scenes that are being paid lots of money to try and figure out how to make it as slick as possible. So just know that going in. And if you are floating, stop using your card until you're not. Because uh, you, know, you don't want to be floating. It's, uh, you've removed some scarcity from your budget, and that can kind of throw a bit mention. Well, off. it
0: sounds like just you should just treat your credit card like a debit card. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I should have
1: said it that way. My
0: answer would have been a lot quicker. Yeah. Because that's exactly it. Yeah. So let's talk about being flexible. Because that's I think that's where you th- that's where most people give up. They they're, they're doing their budget, and then their budget doesn't go according to plan. And they're just like ah, the heck with it. I'm just going to throw this out the window. What are some? I mean, how? What does that flexibility look? At? Is it like every day you're adjusting your budget? Every week? What does that look like?
1: When you're first starting, it it might be every day. Just because you really don't know how things. Actually, go. So you're setting up a plan, and you're saying, "This is my reality. I want to live by this reality." But you don't really know if you're first starting out what kind of reality you're dealing with. So it could be literally daily. And with us, you know, it's on our phone. And you're just you're moving money around. We make moving money from category to category very easy on purpose because we know this this is a function that people want that they need. So yeah, it can be daily um, for for me and. And in my personal system, I've been doing it for so long. People that have been doing it for a long time, they they end up adjusting maybe weekly and some even less than that. It's really a matter of how big is the the overage and how much other room do you have in your budget. So if you're dealing with a category, you know, total checking account balance of three grand and you just overspent by a thousand bucks, that's a big deal. You'd be juggling right away. But if you overspent by 50, and your budget's three grand you know fix it but there's nothing's gonna happen that's going to really you know set things on fire so it, there's a little bit of a judge of materiality in the budget there but and then when you're first starting fix it often so it just kind of reinforces this, reinforces that behavior of hey when something happens i'm just rolling with the punches i'm just adjusting and that that's just good budgeting because you were saying like your budget doesn't go according to plan, but the budget really is the plan, you know, and so your plan needs to go according to reality, and that's all you're doing is just adjusting to reality every day that that's how you win. It's absolutely how you win. Um, and people just need to let go of the idea that they have this crystal ball that tells them exactly how life will go for the next month. life there is no normal month, you know you just adjust as as needed, you know your whole life long right
0: so how do you handle? your income growing up because like or as it goes up yeah. so for example when you're I was in the same boat as you uh, married in college broke so it was really easy to bud because like scarcity existed but then yeah, I, remember I got my real. first job my first like paycheck and i was like oh wow this is amazing and kind of the budget was like oh I don't have to worry it's like how does you need a budget like the system adapt itself as your uh, income goes up
1: yeah, so maybe there are a few more zeros on the end of things, right? But uh, the idea is still, and we have really good data around money stress and level of income, and there's basically no relationship. I, I was chatting with a guy; he makes two hundred grand a year. It's paycheck, it's salaried, it's you know, you can bank on it. Makes bonuses as well, and his average checking account balance uh, would end up floating around five hundred dollars every time, you know, and. I mean, that, when you're making that much money and your checking account balance is sitting there, you are spending down to the bone. And he was so stressed. Uh, we we got him figured out and he's doing. he's actually retired. Now, I mean, he was making so much money, he made all sorts of life changes. But at the end of the day, we got it all square. Someone making 40 grand, 30 grand, same thing, they're stressed. And if you can get their money just lined up with what they really want, a lot of time that stress goes away. So the fundamentals don't really change as the money gets larger. What happens is you do, I mean, you do have more wiggle room. Like I don't stress about uh, the fact that I need to renew my registration for my car. I remember when I first had to renew it, we were first married, bought our first car. I'd never owned a car before. And we get this bill a year after we'd bought the car saying you owe us $125 for registration. I was blown away. I'm like, $125, I'd that'd buy a textbook, you know, as pricey as they were. And uh, it threw us off. So- there are things like that now. A hundred dollar surprise to me won't—I won't sweat it now, like I used to. But the principles are still the same. Where whatever amount of money you have, make sure that it's doing what you really care about. And if it is, man, you know you can design the life you want and have your money serving that purpose instead of having it just be a source of stress and and relationship woes a lot of the time.
0: So this prioritizing, giving every dollar a job, is. I mean, it's difficult because if it's new for you, but it's easy when it's just you. How do you do this when you bring in a spouse who might have other priorities that are different from yours, other ideas about money and how to spend it? What does that process look like? So when
1: you're first merging finances, and uh, you, there are things that, that each, each partner brings. They bring different habits with their money. They bring uh, different bigger conceptual ideas about money, and then they bring actual money or debt, right, to the relationship. So you want to know what are their habits and especially what are their big ideas. Like, do they think that the credit card is like a magical, you know, tool that gets them what they want right away? Or do they think it's uh, from the devil, you know? And were they raised a certain way? And how did their parents behave around money? And you can start to explore that with your significant other, and you can say, um, what were your parents like with money? Did you ever hear them talk about it? What did they teach you? And, and and you just kind of explore that, not talking about money, like dollars and amounts, just talking about the idea. And that can do a lot of kind of getting to know you type stuff. Uh, you can go a long ways with that. Um, habits might be, you know, they have different, they they like to uh, shop to relieve stress. They They always like to go out and get a coffee every morning. And all those things are just kind of habits that come along with it. You need to know about them. But at the end of the day, when well, you'd said like they have their own priorities and you have yours. That is exactly the right kind of thinking. You you have to recognize that when you're budgeting together, there are three sets of priorities. You have yours, mine, and ours. And those three play a, they're vital that you that you are clear with each other on whose priorities are what so that you can speak intelligently to it. So when my priority is this puppy I bought and I wanna train and I wanna get all this gear for this puppy, Julie's like, okay, that's yours. And her priority might be, I want to do lunch with friends, you know, a couple times or whatever it may be. Or she she loves furniture. Lo- she She just loves it. And I couldn't care less about it, right? So she's recognized like, oh, this is one of my priorities. She loves cooking. So the grocery budget, she cares so much more about it than I do because she wants to be able to buy stuff to make this or that new recipe or things because it's just one of our huge hobbies. So when you recognize that early on, then it frames the conversations to be so much easier where it's like, okay, well, you know, what do you want for your hobby with this dog? What do you want to do? Okay. Well, here's what I want to do for this. And I'm thinking about that and you fund it, you know, you just, you put money in those spots and then you have the our priorities. Like for us, it's travel where we want to, have really fun experiences with the kids. They don't need to be expensive, but we want to make sure that they're being done, you know? So we have categories for each thing that we want to do. Like we want to go visit some family here. We want to go see some historical sites or whatever it may be. And we make sure those things actually happen. The budget at the end of the day ends up being a little bit of a to-do list for you and for your spouse where you can, it's kind of like, these are the things we want to achieve. Some things only you'll want to do, some things only I'll want to do, and some things we'll want to do together. I think respecting that I don't know, that goes a long way towards really being able to communicate well about, about it. Because there's too much finger pointing with money and relationships. And we really want
0: get, to get away from that. And, and how do you teach this stuff to your, your kids? Because I think all of us want our kids to be responsible with money.
1: Yeah, I think a ton about that. It's um, One, it's super fun to teach them. So the, the book goes into pretty good detail. But there's, I'll just share one thing that I really have enjoyed. And that's they are far easier to teach than we are. So as adults, we we come with all sorts of baggage. Like right at the beginning, we were saying this is about budgeting, and people are kind of thinking, "Oh man, gosh, do I really want to even listen to this? You know, this episode? <laughs> I don't really want to hear this." And it with, with kids, they you're like, "Hey, we should do a budget," and they're like, "What's a budget?" Well, a budget's a way for you to make sure you buy the things you really want. They're like, "Okay." That sounds pretty good so far. And then you just say, what do you really want? You know, I I would talk with maybe Harrison. He's 11. So he's in this awesome age right now where he's interested in everything. I'm like, Harrison, weren't you saying you wanted a hoverboard? Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally want one of those. What about that Nerf gun? Wasn't that one that was like automatic that you could just hold down?" Yeah, well, I want Airsoft. Oh, Airsoft. We're talking about Airsoft now. Well, what's that? Do you need gear for that? And you really stoke the fire that's already in him, and you get him just to list 25 things all these things he wants. And he, they love it. It's like a Christmas list, right? Then you say, well, Harrison, how much money do you have? Oh, I've got, I don't know, 50 bucks. Well, how do you want to allocate it to these so that we can have you buy one of these things? And suddenly it's, he's like, oh, well, this list is way too long. And I've yet, I'm yet to see an exception to this where the kids don't just zero in on that one thing that they really want, and they throw all the money behind it. And it's, it's like they have the, it, this innate ability to prioritize, where we as adults are like, well, should I do this? Well, my friends do this. Should I be doing that too? You know, And all these things where the kids are like, I want that. I'm going to have that. So you get them giving. You get them saving for long term, like you know, college or something like that. And then the rest of that money, for us, we have our kids just, you can do whatever you want with it. And we teach them about that prioritization. And they do it naturally. I mean, they do it so much easier than we do. So it's, it's just fun to watch. You got to be patient with them. Um, I start them when they turn eight. It seems like they're old enough at that point to really get the, you know, get the gist. Um, and then one thing I learned from, from Ron Lieber, he's a New York Times columnist that I chatted with a while ago, but really helped me was he gives an allowance to the kids just unhinged from any other chores or anything. It's just, here's this money. And it's not because you've done any work. And at first I was thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, you work, you get money. That's how life is. But he said, no, no, the allowance is just there to teach them how to use it. Teach them how to use the money. So we have our kids work. They do office work for me, like clean the office and stuff. And they they earn money that way. But with allowance, it's just, here's the money and let's teach you how to manage the money and not have it married to, you know, how well did you clean your room or whatever. And it's... It's a small amount. But that really freed up me and Julie. We just gave him the money and said the money is there to teach a lesson. And it's not the lesson of work for money. It's just the lesson of how do we manage it. So that those are two kind of things that I've keyed in on. They learn easily and allowance is just something to help them.
0: Yeah, grow. that's what we we do with the allowance. We just give it our son Gus, is the only one, he's seven, he gets an allowance, but it's like not tied to chores. It's like we don't want him to we want him to do the chores because he's a part of the family. Right, because I think if you throw in the money, if like you forget to pay him his allowance, it's like, well, I'm not going to clean my room because yeah, exactly. didn't give did me my money. So. so this has been great. What do you do whenever you're doing all this stuff? And you, 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 there's always that moment. This happens with your with dieting, with exercise. I'm sure it happens with budget. Where you are just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to give up. This is too hard. Any any advice for those folks out there?
1: You know, I one thing um, like in. In exercise, I've noticed this, I'll just change it up. Like I'll just, I'll get a new, I'll just dial in a new routine. You know, I'll say, okay, I'm going to do this instead. And that seems to kind of re-energize me to approach, maybe I'll focus on a specific lift or whatever, but to, I don't know, you have it with, you see it with new eyes and you get kind of new excitement. And there, the book goes into a few different reasons why we why we want to quit. But the one I want to keen on here is just starting fresh with it goes a really long way toward seeing it with new eyes. And that would mean that you just kind of throw out your whole budget and you look at the pile of money you have on hand. And if you've been doing YNAB for a while, the pile will be bigger than when you started. And with that brand new pile of money that's unassigned to any job, you would just sit down. If you're sharing finances, you sit down with your spouse and you'd say, okay, here's this big pile of money. What should this money do? And you start from the top and you think, oh, we got to pay the mortgage. Okay, you know, you got. You know. You just start working your way down. A lot of the stuff's going to be the same, but it's seeing that large pile, and then knowing that it's it's not spoken for that kind of breathes new life into the budget, and uh, can reinvigorate it. So that that's one one piece of advice that I would give is just uh, maybe start fresh with it and see if you can't yeah breathe new life into it that way.
0: Well, Jesse, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work?
1: So the book you can find, at I mean, any retailer, it's just called You Need a Budget. And you can go to youneedabudget.com. If you're in a hurry, you can do YNAB.com. Just YNAB. And yeah, we, we have a ton of resources out there. You can take free online workshops that we run all the time. And you can read, watch videos. We just, we really try and teach. We, we just teach and get it all out there. And then uh, if you like our tool, that's how we make our money. But we teach for free and it's working well for us so far. So yeah, I'd, I'd encourage people just to check that out.
0: Awesome. Jesse Meekum, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My guest is Jesse Meekum. He's the author of the book, You Need a Budget. He's also the creator of the software, the same name, You Need a Budget. You can find the book on Amazon, available for pre-order right now. And you can find more information about his software and service at youneedabudget.com or you can just type in ynab.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is ynab where you can find links to resources. where We can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy the podcast, I've gotten something out of it. I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. If you've already done that, thank you. Please share the show with a couple of your friends. Word of mouth is how this thing spreads. The more the merrier around here. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.